welcome to Tech Law Talks. I am Anthony Diana, a member of Reed Smith's Tech and Data Group. In each episode of this podcast, we will discuss cutting edge issues on technology, data, and the law. We will provide practical observations on a wide variety of technology and data topics to give you quick and actionable tips to address the issues you are dealing with every day. Hello, this is Anthony Diana. Welcome back to Tech Law Talks and our M365 and 5 governance series where we're joined by Lighthouse to explore the core governance elements of Microsoft 365 and key operational and legal considerations. In this episode, we will be discussing privacy, particularly as it relates to team sites, um, which is obviously a very big issue for not just people um, where you have a global organization, but even in the U.S., where you have local privacy laws and regulations. So, with me today, joining me today are Catherine Castaldo from Reed Smith and Damian Murphy from Lighthouse. Welcome, guys. Okay, let's start about, I'll just start with like sort of a high-level concept of why does privacy matter? Does privacy matter with team sites generally? I'll start with you, Catherine, just to give you a, just a general thought on that. Sure. Uh, well, thanks, Anthony. It, but I think privacy matters in every context. Um, anytime you're going to transfer data that's identifiable to an individual, you have to make a consideration about what privacy is going to look like and how you're going to maintain it and how you're going to keep security around the data. And, and Damien, what are, I don't know if you've seen or what, how have you seen clients just generally approach privacy in, in team sites? Is it, is it top of mind? Is it being actually implemented? Nervously, nervously, because there's there's a lot to think about. And to be honest, it's sort of not top of mind because generally what we find is the implementation is often driven by IT, where it isn't top of mind because IT are responding to a business need. It is top of mind once lawyers and privacy officers get involved and they start to see that Teams offers really a, a lot of things you need to think about. It's got this combination of cloud computing and collaboration that together can be chaos, right, from a privacy point of view, if not managed properly. Cloud computing, where's my data stored? Where does it move to and from? How is it protected? What technical measures are there? What organizational measures are there? What contractual measures are there? Then you've got the collaboration point of view. Collaboration, what a fabulous thing. But ease of sharing means ease of accidentally giving away information that was never intended to go to a certain person or to a certain place. And when that information is personal information, then you've got issues in terms of data privacy. And then there's sort of the kind of hand in hand, there's the sort of sensitive information where it's more the commercially sensitive information. But essentially, collaboration just really exposes a company to the opportunity or the, the well, the, the potential difficulty of giving out personal and private information in the wrong places. So, and one of the things that I'd like to hear, Catherine, you can start, and I'll ask the too, location of the team site, right? You mentioned it, and obviously, particularly for global organizations, we've had a lot of them struggle with, you know, where should the team site be, right? Is it is it important if you're, if there are, you know, people, if we have people in Europe in it, does it have to be in Europe? Can we put everything in the U.S.? I hear a lot of IT folks saying, they want all the team site data in one spot, right? Whether it's Europe, U.S., wherever. How, how important is it for an organization to determine the location of a team site, just generally from a privacy perspective? 
Well, it, it's very important, but it's one factor in many. Location can be critically important depending on certain types of data from certain jurisdictions where the data localization rules are very strict. But in other types of data, just general personal data, if you put the right framework around it and you have the right uh, transparency and contracts and security systems, typically you have a good argument to make that data transfer. So you can have a centralized administration point. It may or may not be the U.S., it may be the EU. And for some organizations, that's an easier outcome because their compliance is localized too, and they can manage it effectively from that place. So it's possible, but it takes time to examine the kind of data. It's not just customer data. Some organizations really don't get into this conversation until they realize that they have also business data that they have to think about. So there's a lot of factors, and I just say that people need to look at this holistically and not just say, well, it has to be in the EU or it has to be in the U.S. or it has to be in China. You have to think about what makes sense from a number of different perspectives. So, Damien, what are, what are you seeing clients do in terms of the loca- just the location to meet privacy obligations? One thing that I think that we uh, see with clients is that it's really important to know whether or not you're on a new tenancy or an old tenancy. Because if, you, if you've if you got a tenancy that's been around for a while, then some of the opportunities to have your data in a particular region, which would happen naturally if you've got a new tenancy. So, for example, take Canada. If you've got a new Teams set up in Canada, the data would be stored in Canada. But if you're putting Teams into a site that you've had for a while, then the data is stored in America. So one of the things is, first of all, is work out like, how what, you know, what is your current situation? How new is your team's installation? So we look at that. And then the other thing, really, what we see is that within Europe, we see data privacy impact assessments. So even where you might look and sort of, so data privacy impact assessments is something you have to do in certain circumstances under general data protection regulation. But even if you don't have to do it, what we see is a lot of European clients are doing it to give really the board to give the data protection people involved in that organization the assurance that things are under control and a data privacy impact assessment of teams can be i mean you could probably do one in something like a week or two weeks but it needs it needs careful analysis again coming back to the things of where's that data stored where does it move to is it encrypted uh, what are we going to be using it for and then coming on to sort of the, the sort of the elements of governance as well, just the general elements of governance that you would expect in in any kind of well-run organization. Along those lines, in terms of risk mitigation, because obviously a data privacy impact assessment is sort of, in some ways, I would view as a risk mitigation step. So at least you can say you've done it. One of the things we're also talking with clients about is, do you have to sort of designate, we talked in a prior podcast about in the provisioning stage of a team site, at least gathering certain information in the provisioning stage. One of the ones that we've seen clients think about is, do we want a jurisdiction, even if it's not location somewhere and saying, okay, it's an EU site, meaning that there's mostly EU people there, maybe EU customers there, even if we're not going to put it in Europe and we keep it in the US, just gathering information about that, like the designation of the jurisdiction. Catherine, is that is, is that helpful? What, what would you do? Like, what are other steps that you can think about that for people out there listening, like that the privacy folks or legal folks can say, look, we need at least this. If you're going to put it all in the U.S. or you're going to put it in EMEA, we need some other things to get comfortable with the launch of team sites. 
Yeah, I think it goes back to Damien's point. We, we have a lot of clients in the U.S. as well doing the data impact assessments because it does give a nice format to uh, advise senior leadership and management about what um, what the risks and benefits are to any implementation scheme. We're also seeing that uh, data impact assessments are going to be required under the certain pending legislation that's coming out in a couple of different states. So as an advanced measure, we're sort of guiding people towards that, even if they don't have European data. Uh, so that, that really is, I think, the main consideration is understanding, getting a holistic understanding, as I mentioned before, of the data, as well as the locations, and then being able to be transparent about that um, understanding and putting the right security around it in the right location. And just going to that security point, uh, Damien, I know there's a, there's a number of different settings that people can use uh, to provide that adequate security, adequate access, and the like. Um, you just give us just a brief commentary on on sort of what are, what are the, some of the options that people have to sort of build a, a privacy compliant environment for team sites? So you've got options like the use of information barriers and information barriers are essentially ethical walls. I'd say they're more focused on sensitive information, commercially sensitive information rather than personal data. You've got uh, compliance boundaries that you can consider as well. Again, probably stronger in the sensitive information side of things, particularly when you're looking at it from an e-discovery point of view. You've got access controls. So could somebody in a jurisdiction logging onto Teams and they move, let's say, to a different jurisdiction, can you prevent that access? Because you may well want to prevent the access if someone's visiting a country where you're concerned that the data privacy rules or legislation within that country isn't providing an adequate level of protection. And then there's a number of just, just individual settings within Teams where you can just go through, like there's maybe seven or eight different things where you can look at and say, well, I'm going to turn this bit off. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And we see some clients really be very reluctant to kind of turn on everything in Teams. And and I've seen clients where the Teams implementation has just been stopped. I mean, it's just been, it runs into the wall of data privacy saying, hold on, we weren't brought in at the right time here. We haven't had a chance to look at this. This ends. And of course, that's an awful situation for any company to be in. So it's really right at the start, look at all those different configuration settings, sit down with data privacy, with legal, with IT, with compliance, and work together to get yourself a strategy that, the, that they can live with, and then the business can get the collaboration benefits that they want. Oh, thanks. So thanks, guys. I think we'll probably have future uh, tech law talks on just even privacy and teams. So there's a lot to unpack here. So I appreciate your time, Catherine and Damien. Thanks, everyone. Hopefully you'll listen again. Thank you. Tech Law Talks is a Reed Smith production. Our producer is Ali McArdle. For more information about Reed Smith's tech and data practice, please email techlawtalks at reedsmith.com. You can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and reedsmith.com. And our social media accounts at Reedsmith LLP on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. This podcast is provided for educational purposes. It does not constitute legal advice and is not intended to establish an attorney-client relationship, nor is it intended to suggest or establish standards of care applicable to particular lawyers in any given situation. Prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome. Any views, opinions, or comments made by any external guest speaker are not to be attributed to Reed Smith LLP or its individual lawyers. All rights reserved.